Have you ever felt inadequate? And it's, it's a, probably a dumb question because we've all felt inadequate at some point. But if you've ever put a dream aside for what you know to be is too long, then this episode is for you. And in this episode of the show, by the way, welcome to the show. You're on the Chase Jarvis Live Show on Creative Live. This show is where I sit down with awesome people. And this awesome person, my guest today, is an amazing world-class storyteller, uh, a world-class photographer, uh, founder of many nonprofit organizations, and the author of a now best-selling book called I'm Possible. My guest is Jeremy Cowart. And Jeremy's story, Jeremy's book, Jeremy's life mission, if you will, is has largely been about uncovering that thing that you knew you were supposed to be doing, uncovering your purpose, and then doing that thing. Now, the cool thing about Jeremy is that this is full circle. He was on the show, I think, in 2010? 2010. Just grok that for a second. In 2019, so nine years ago, Jeremy was one of the first, I'd say, 10 guests we had on the show. Uh, Just such a stand-up human being, just a sweetheart of a man, and incredibly talented across a lot of different artistic disciplines. I know him through photography. Uh, he, w- he was one of the first folks that did the Creative Live stuff early on. Uh, he's famous for starting Help Portrait, which is a nonprofit that helps homeless people, empowers them through taking great photographs of them, of them uh, portraits that they can use to build self-esteem, to get jobs. Uh, and he's started a, a handful of businesses. One C University, which is uh, his own education platform, and his new thing, the Purpose Hotel, will be the first hotel chain in the world where everything that you experience as a hotel guest goes to fight uh, for human rights, for people in need, and is of service. So the soaps, they were made by uh, a group that would um, say help human trafficking. Every room is a sponsor of a child, so a certain percentage of that room every night goes to supporting a child or a family in an, in, in an impoverished uh, part of the world, etc. It's just a phenomenal vision called the Purpose Hotel, and I could go on about Jeremy, but there's nobody better to tell you about Jeremy than Jeremy himself. So I'm going to get out of the way. I want you to know that this episode is powerful. Jeremy talks about a lot of his personal struggles, how he's overcome them, uh, and and is now uh, raising four children, two adopted children from Haiti, uh, two biological children. He talks about struggle, talks about overcoming that struggle to pursue dreams like the Purpose Hotel, uh, and he does it all in a, in a very, very eloquent way in the show. And of course, we point to his new book again, I'm Possible, How to Jump into Fear and Discover a Life of Purpose. I'm going to get out the way. Before we do, just a super quick word from Creative Live. Check this out, y'all. This episode of the Chase Jarvis Live show is sponsored by Creative Live for Business. This is different than the regular old Creative Live. So whether you love, passionately love where you work or it's sort of like meh, Or on the other side, if it's a creative wasteland and you want to inspire some change in the place that you work, you're not alone. Studies say that three out of four people, that's right, 75% of people say they're not living up to their creative potential at work. If so, I want to introduce you to Creative Live's newest product. It's called Creative Live for Business. And in a nutshell, it's a way to get access to all of Creative Live's content for your entire team and or entire company and maybe bring in some much needed energy and innovation to that team or company simply by going to creativelive.com slash teams. 
Now, Creative Live for Business is already in service of several of the top creative firms on the planet and a powerhouse list of many of the Fortune 100 top brands. These brands care about creativity and innovation. And you know what? These companies pay for this for their employees. So it doesn't matter if you're a team of five people, 55, or, or if there's 50,000 people in the company. If this sounds interesting to you and you want to check it out, either you can check it out or refer your boss to Creative Live by sending them to creativelive.com teams. Remember, the most forward-thinking companies, they prioritize things like creative skills, like design thinking, leadership, collaboration, wellness. And again, with Creative Live for Business, you get access to all that taught by some of the top instructors in the world all on Creative Live. So again, you can visit or send your boss a link to creativelive.com slash teams to learn more. Thank you for having me. Of course. Yeah. From Nashville, Tennessee. Dude, we got a long history together in this building. We do. We are sitting here in the Creative Live office in Seattle, the studios. We... How many years ago was it? Do you remember? Was it seven years ago when you I mean, you did the maybe the fourth, I think, Creative yeah. Lab workshop? Gosh, it's been at least seven. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I thought nine. it was more like ten, but nine. yeah, maybe yeah, something like that. Um, welcome back. So proud of you on all, all that you've done since then. Oh, this isn't so, about us. So this fun is, to watch. Thanks, thanks. Yeah. Uh, and likewise with you, we've we were joking before we turned the cameras on that we've both transcended. Uh, a couple different career arcs. Mm-hmm. We've, we've. Um, I felt like we've had really similar journeys mm-hmm. until now. In your journey, you just like hit some new, like new rocket ship that kicked well, you to a completely different still universe. It's still in the very beginning, but yeah, it's a crazy, it's a crazy ride for sure. Well, how what what took you from fine art photographer to hotelier? That's yeah, crazy. Like, it no, is. No, you have to like. Just to be clear, starting a hotel is no. There's a lot of real estate involved. That's huge dollars. What's what's the vision behind it? How how did we get here? So um, right now, when we're filming this, it's May 2019. So seven years ago, it was April 30th, 2012. I was uh, walking through a hotel, the Standard in Los Angeles. Yep. The one downtown um, for a photo shoot. I was there shooting for the iPhone app Visco. Uh-huh. I was just shooting a model for some promo thing they were doing. And so I was walking through the hotel to meet them, just in a regular normal room. But as I was walking through the hallway, all of the hotel uh, room numbers were designed like name tags, like old school 80s, like, hello, my name is room 121. And I just thought, no, that's like cool. They rethought the name tags. Um, but in that moment, I was like, man, it'd be cool if as you walked down the hall, like you could stop and read the story of every room if you wanted to. It's like, oh, look at the story, man. And then I had the thought of child sponsorship. Like each room was giving a dollar per night to some kid overseas through this organization I knew called Compassion International. And then I looked at my room key as I was about to enter the room and I thought of Caitlin Crosby and the giving keys and how they employ the homeless to, you know, create these cool keys. Um, and then when I opened the door to my room, it was like the movie scene where you you see everything in front of you transform into something else, you know, it's like, brrr, yeah. you know, all the way around. Because I, I was like, oh, the artwork, like Joelle and all my humanitarian artist friends could do the 
the photos of the artwork and then the desk could be built by the homeless and the internet fee could fight human trafficking and the soaps and shampoos could come from Thistle Farms. And it was like one of those just real time moments where I was like, oh, that'd be a really cool hotel if everything was doing something. Um, and so, yeah, I remember telling the Visco guys right away, I was like, y'all, sorry, I'm ADD right now. I've got a really, really big idea that I think is incredible. And so I told them and they're like, okay, yeah, that's an amazing idea. But we have a photo but shoot. But let's today. go, yeah, let's yeah, get back to yeah. work. <laughs> yeah, and so um, I went home that day and told my wife, and usually she's so used to me spouting off ideas that usually yeah, she's like, yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> and so I was just thinking that she would have that reaction. Um, but she started crying immediately, like just bawling, like this is the most amazing idea you've ever had and we have to do this. And so ultimately um, I did pursue it right away with the guy in LA, but very quickly I could tell that, that he wasn't the right fit. So after that, dude, I spent three years just in fear because it was just so big. I was like, there's no way that I can do this, you know? And so I just surrendered to it and maybe later in life that's something I can pursue. And so, um, then in 2015, I uh, decided it was time to, to go for it. So my business partner and I, we launched a Kickstarter and that began officially the full journey. So four years now of actually working on it. I think yeah. that, well, there's two things, two threads I wanna pull on. Uh, one is how ideas come to us. You know, I think, what is it that the Picasso line inspiration has, is, is always there, but it has to find you working. Is that Picasso? I think it might be Picasso or, or yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting my, no, I know my the one line. Yeah, I'm forgetting who yeah. said it too. <laughs> I think it's Picasso yeah. uh, has to find you working. So the fact that you were traveling for work, working at a hotel in a sort of creative mindset and that you had the discipline both to pursue it enough to like, you know, record these moments that you can tell that story as crisply as you just did. And also the wisdom to know that right that minute was not the exact time. Mm -hmm. how, so before we go to the other thread, if we pull on that thread a little bit more, how did you know that? You, you used the word surrender, you used, uh, you know, you, you said something about, you know, having patience and like, how did you figure that how did you know to let that idea simmer versus just run after it with all your energy well, and stop photography and stop whatever? I was used to running after ideas immediately. And so again, I did run after it immediately. I found this hotelier guy in Los Angeles um, to run with, I mean, immediately, like within a week I was sitting down with him. Um, but he, it's a long story, but he just wasn't, was not the right fit at all. And I, thankfully I knew that. But how did you know that? Like this is, I'm trying to get into your intuition. Yeah, um, ego. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause uh, yeah, yeah, I have no, no room or no desire to work with big egos. And this guy was already starting to kind of take credit for everything that I had come up with. And yeah. I was just like, whoa, whoa. And I just kind of scooted myself out of that. And, uh, but then I was like, man, this is just, it's too big. You know, I was 35 at the time and um, it's like I'm a freelance photographer, like every other photographer on a roller coaster of finances. You know, some years are great, some are awful. And I'm like, how does a freelance artist build a $150, $200 million skyscraper hotel? That doesn't, it <laughs> doesn't connect. The math is not working. The math out. is not working. So yeah, man, I just like, I just, so that thought there's no way that I can do this. But 
what I would do is I would keep speaking the idea, even uh, into the fear of somebody stealing it or whatever, even at conferences, you know, like wherever I would be, I'd just talk about this big idea. I'm like, one day I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna do this. So I just thought that if I keep speaking it, like hopefully people will latch onto the idea with me and people come alongside me and eventually I'll meet the right, you know, the right people that I'm supposed to meet, like just letting it out into the world. And so, um, I did that for three years. I shared it all the time um, and every day. And you, you know it's a good idea or when it's an important idea when you can't stop thinking about it. That's one of because a lot of times, I'll, and I'm sure you're the same way, you have a big idea, but a month later you've moved on to the next idea. And that's kind of how I identify, okay, that must have not been that important or urgent. or So this one just never went anywhere. So I, you already, you, you naturally segued from my first part of that question to the second part, which is this fear of having an idea that's so big. Mm -hmm. And my belief is that these are the ideas that are worth pursuing, that are mm -hmm. worth chasing for a decade or a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And yet when you initially have it, you have this, the same voice that you had, which is, well, we're, we're trying to worry about where our next gig's gonna come from, yeah, and this yeah. is a hundred million dollar thing. Yeah. So when it does, it is that idea that sticks with you, to mm. your last point, yeah. you still have to take action. In a world where everyone that I know is, most people that I know are paralyzed because this idea is too big, mm -hmm. yet we hear that the ideas that are the biggest and won't leave us are the ones to pursue, mm. how do you reconcile? those yeah. two things because I know there are people listening and watching who I want to do, you know, they have this great idea. Mm -hmm. They're A, probably not sharing it, so we've already taken that piece of advice from you. Yeah. But how did you actually, like, step one? Was there, you know, did you read a business book and did you get a, you know, a partner and, and like, to me those are those are two, also too big of hurdles, but here you are, you've made it happen, so can you walk us through yeah. what you actually did? Yeah, there was a, a series of events, and not to be that guy, but in the book I'll talk about like, there. I think there was like five things that happened. Um, one of them was just a simple moment of inspiration when I was flying over New York City, looking over the sea of skyscrapers, and it just hit me like, kind of like you idiots right here in front of you, like all those buildings had to start with one person, one idea at some point. And there's thousands and thousands of them most of them are just random business buildings with no meaning. I'm like, so why can't I have just one of those buildings? It does have such a deep meaning and purpose behind it. And so I was just kind of blown away by the simplicity of that thought. Like, okay, this has been done thousands and thousands of right, times Right, it's not before. like you're inventing the idea yeah. of uh, starting a thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I was like, uh, and then um, a couple weeks later, I was sitting down with a friend, a guy that's a lot like yourself. He's just a... Uh, multifaceted creative. He's a, directs a huge uh, show or multiple shows on TV. He's sold patents to Apple. He's just a brilliant guy. But I told him the idea is like, uh, why aren't you doing this? Like, I would invest in this immediately. He's like, go. And it was kind of hearing the, the just somebody a, a way above me speaking into, like, you dummy, what are, what are you doing with your life? I'm like, oh yeah, I should do this. And so, um, but then the main, the main thing, the main step forward was sitting down with my, at the time, business manager who became my business partner. So we already have a 
14 year, well, at this point, 14 year history together. Um, and he's the opposite of the guy I mentioned earlier, you know, in LA. He's <laughs> a lot of ego and super humble. We have history together. We trust each other. Um, and he is all left brain. So I like to say that as creatives, we need our peanut butter because we're the jelly. You know, we're like messy all over the place. <laughs> but we've got a lot of flavor. We need that left brain that holds us together. And, um, and so Michael, uh, Michael Moore is his name, not the filmmaker. Uh, but yeah, we just we just decided to go for it together. And he hadn't he had no experience in the industry either. But um, I knew he was capable. And so we jumped in. We decided this story needs to start with the public. And so step one was let's launch a Kickstarter. And granted, it took months and months to prepare for that. You know how Kickstarters work. You gotta get all the rough renderings and copy and concept so preparing for that then we launched it and then we failed because our goal was like two million we hit 700 grand and so we fell far short of our goal um but in the launch of it, we blew up publicity wise so we got a ton of attention all over the hotel industry all over the country um so when we failed we relaunched immediately with a goal of 300,000 we still raised 700,000 so we hit our goal again, we hit that number again, and then that 700 has really lasted us the last three or four years in terms of architectural fees, designers, graphic designers, um, lawyers, attorneys, all that stuff. <laughs> lawyers, um, lawyers, 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 and lawyers. <laughs> yes, all of them. Um, yeah, I mean, truly. We play all the lawyers. <laughs> truly, that's probably the biggest, the biggest part of the money has been the lawyers. Um, what about not knowing an industry like Let's go through some of the questions that if I was going to do what you did that I would be fearful of. Like, I don't know anything. I don't know a single hotel person. Mm. I don't know anything about real estate. Yeah. I've never, uh, well, how do you raise that much money on Kickstarter? Uh, and that's the two million that you said, that's obviously not going to build you a hotel right. that can build, barely build you a house in mm. Seattle yeah. or in San Francisco. Yeah. So yeah. like how are you talking about a 150, 250 hotel room? Yeah. Like, all these are questions that usually paralyze people. Mm -hmm. Why didn't it paralyze you? Um, I have to give most of that credit to my partner, Michael, because he's the one that really dug in. I mean, thousands and thousands of hours since 2015 when we started that he has learned the industry inside and out. Um, and it's funny because I feel like I've learned it just by staying in hotels in 30 countries around the world. Like I told even our management company the other day, I was like, I have to remind y'all, we're not building a hotel because we like hotels. We're building a hotel because we don't like hotels. Like they're all to me uninspiring. Even the luxury hotels, like I don't, I don't get much out of hotels. Like it's the largest industry in the world. Shouldn't it be changing the world? You know, and it's not. It's it doesn't. I remember being in a seven hundred million dollar hotel in Orlando recently and. There was just not a scene. I literally walked to the hotel trying to find something that inspired me. It was just like, just a bunch of bland crap everywhere. Big chandeliers and they had this one piece of art that was like probably 20 feet tall by whatever. And it was just this big yellow minimal square. It's like, really? All that space for, <laughs> you know? And so I just, um, I just am constantly having ideas because a hotel to me isn't about the hotel industry. It's this hotel for me is 
nonprofits and its family and its community, its art, photography, design, fitness, restaurants, retail. I mean, it's literally everything I love together in a space where to me it echoes the world we're living in. You and I, these guys, like we're all in this world for a very temporary time living together, trying to figure it out, you know, and hotels the same way. Like you're all in the space for a brief moment together, you know, and, and how do you make that interaction really engaging and inspiring? And so that's, so my head lives in all the creative, like what is that awkward elevator experience gonna be? You know, and so I've, I've spent all my time just re-engineering kind of the, the, the experience and the visuals and the design. My business partner has been learning the finance and legal and all that stuff. So we really are a good. Good, good match. Yeah. So, but but still, he's the one to answer your question that is really, you know, and together we have sat down with, um, you know, hotel people over the years. And now we have a hotel management company. So they'll be running day-to-day operations and all that stuff. So um, I'm going to use this as a jumping off point. So we've got your big idea. We open with the Purpose Hotel. You have a lifelong career as a photographer and a designer. Originally started out as design, then moved into photography, mm-hmm. which is how... We met originally, and I'm very thankful for that. But I want to go back before all that, which largely ties into your new book, Impossible. And dyslexic, is that right? Yeah, yeah. And your book does a a very great job of chronicling, and I've seen your talk and that viral video that you made about your own life, um, essentially is grew up not feeling worthy. Mm -hmm. And... What I'm interested in exploring now is this journey from struggling as a kid, as so many of us do, not trying, you know, all, as a kid, we're just basically taught to fit in. Mm-hmm. I ran away from creativity because it, it, it drew attention to mm-hmm. me as a, mm. a creative kid. And I was like, oh, you know what? I don't want to be creative. I'm just going to go yeah. do, I'm going to go be a jock because it, yeah. it was more accepted in the world yeah. that I grew up in. Yeah. But how, how do you, 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 I want to create a, a narrative arc here of realizing as a kid that you you were unique mm-hmm. and yet struggling to fit in and find acceptance and meet cultural norms. And then how have you had just crazy success mm-hmm. as an artist? Because you would think that that would spiral down from being a yeah. kid who's not understood and and what I like to think is that we, we've all taken this journey in some way, shape, or form. Yours is just very public, yeah. and you're you're really good at articulating it. So tell us what it was like to be you as a kid, yeah. and how did you find your way through that? Yeah, the town I grew up in was like a, your typical middle class, pretty wealthy, wealthier side of middle class. And so everybody was preppy, wearing their polos and tummy hole figures and... You know, and I was like this kid that didn't like any of that. And uh, and so there was this expectation to be smart, make good grades. And I just always felt this kind of society pressure to be, to, to follow all that. And I wanted nothing to do with it, but I wasn't making good grades. And so I just thought, oh, because I'm not making good grades, that means I'm stupid, therefore not valuable. So I'm not gonna do much with my life. And so I just always thought like, I guess I just won't add up to much. Maybe I can freelance by the, time, by the time I'm 40 and maybe work my way up as a designer or something. So I just had very low expectations. Um, and that was cultural? 
Was it familial? Was it uh, It wasn't really friend fam circle? familial. I don't, my parents never really put those pressures on me. In fact, the book really talks about how my dad would always encourage me. Like when they, when I was interested in art, like next thing I know there's an art table and oil pastels and color pencils. Like they were always supporting whatever I was interested in. So if anything, it was the opposite family. It was really supportive. Um, but, um, but yeah, I just, I just didn't, I think the education system works backwards because it teaches us that unless you make good grades and you're not a valuable human, you know, you won't add up to much. And so, um, but you know, the subtitle of this is Jumping Into Fear. And I remember as a kid, um, like I wanted to be the first in the haunted house. I wanted to be the first that jumped off the bridge into the lake. I wanted to be the first to do the ropes course. And I think as an adult, it's that same feeling of, I want to go into the scary place, the dark place, and just see what happens. And I think we have to embrace that like oh shit, what's what's about to go down? Yeah. And I just love. But was that a was that? Do you think that was just a natural thing in you, or was that a response that you because you didn't excel in school that you needed to excel where everybody else? I think was? it's probably probably both. Yeah, because I think I, I was always about like I want to do something different. I don't want to look like everybody else. I want to do things differently. Yeah, so probably a mix of both. Because um, now I'm for sure jumping into the hotel businesses walking into the haunted house, you know, um, and starting an app. I know you and I have both yeah. tried the app world and that was just as scary. And I've, you know, um, a lot of the projects I've done, like when the earthquake struck Haiti, I booked a flight to Haiti and didn't know anybody. It's like, I'm going to go down to where, where people are still dying and killing each other. And, you know, I'm just going to go and I'm about to go in, into a very dangerous part of the world for another project. Um, See, so yeah, I'm just kind of drawn into, it's like when you hear an actor say, I'm afraid of it, that's why I knew I was supposed to do it. You know, it's the same, Challenging the same role. thing. Yeah. So as the, the child trying to find self-worth, um, what was your progression like through school and early career? Because, you know, talk to, did you decide not to go to school? Did you just go right into working? And what was that like? And did you immediately find that you you got yourself on track because you pursued things that you love, or did you wander in the woods a little bit more? Uh, oh gosh, I was always wandering in the woods, but I did know that I wanted to be an artist, a painter, out of high school because um, I had fallen in love with art and painting by that time. My parents were afraid of me making a living, so they told me about graphic design, <laughs> and that just terrified me. Computers. I just associated with really smart people. Um, I was like, nope, I'm good. But they bought me a Mac uh, with Photoshop and uh, my mom's like, you should just try this, you know? And so I remember taking my first Photoshop class in college, I was like, oh man, this is amazing. Like I was in love, love at first sight for sure. Photoshop 1.0? It probably, I mean, it was really <laughs> early. This was 95, so yeah, it was. It was. Really like early. Was 1.0. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's crazy to think that we've been using Photoshop for 20 something years. Um, I think it's I think it's coming up on 30. Yeah. At 25 years, they just had their 25th anniversary. Yeah, I think. yeah. That's crazy. That is crazy. So um, yeah, studied graphic design in college, mounted in illustration, and took one photography class in college. I think it was a prerequisite, and I got a D. I nearly failed. 
my professor, like, I don't know, he had a weird vibe. I don't, I don't think he liked me at all. And all the technical stuff, I'll never forget seeing the first time they pulled out like a board with shutter speeds and apertures. I was like, oh, no, no, no. Hell, <laughs> hell no. I want nothing to do with that crap. It was so intimidating. And so I uh, wrote photography off. Like, I will never, it just seems so scary. And so, yeah, uh, about, about flunked photography. Um, and then it really wasn't until, you know, graduated, um, got my first job at a high-end ad agency, got fired from that, was told I wasn't creative enough, and they suggested that, that I go be a youth pastor. Uh, I was like, it was actually good for me to be told no, like that's another compelling, like I'm compelled when somebody tells me I can't do something, you know, I'm like, all right, I'll show you. Um, so I got another job, worked for, you know, and then by the age of 24, just two years in, I was like, I'm done with having a boss, done with the a a advertising world, I'm just gonna start my own thing. So I jumped ship and started my own company at 24. And um, yeah, I've worked for myself ever since, but it was designed for a few years. Then when cameras came back, digital cameras came around, I wanted to use them as a scanner. Like I would shoot the concrete on the ground, I would shoot the wall, like any textures I could get to overlay in Photoshop, you know. That's, wow. how, that's how I fell in love with photography. Re-fell in love from that one yeah. class that you that you got exactly. in. Exactly, exactly. Let's 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 explore that for a second. So you went on to become crazy successful in photography. And do you look back at that that D in college and shake your head? It's like how many people would not have had the drive, the ambition, the wherewithal to pursue photography, even though they got a D in it. Yeah. Like, what does that say about our system? Yeah, it's certainly all broken for sure. The whole education system is broken to me. Um, Cause yeah, that, that professor again was grading me on, you know, whatever test, whatever I was able to remember about f-stops and shutter speeds, he didn't wasn't grading on my eye or my talent because even looking back, I was taking decent pictures. Um, and then, yeah, how many kids walk out of there thinking, oh, I'm a suck, I'll never be a photographer. And they're probably, you know, so many geniuses that also yeah. Yeah. never pursued it. Um, so yeah, that's a whole, whole problem with our culture and our systems that we're so valued on what we make on test scores, you know. Yeah. Um, well, how does that changing you're you're a parent of four? Yeah. How does that change how you and your wife parent? Well, it actually plays really well into that story because my two biological children, I mean they're they they are not my story. They're brilliant. They make all A's. Like they're just killing it. Um <laughs> but my the two that we have adopted um like when you when a child is adopted and ours were a, I, uh, abused and there's a lot of brain trauma there. So naturally they're gonna have a lot of struggles on school. Yeah. And so I'm very grateful for my story because I'm able to really speak the same encouragement into them and not, I don't get mad at all when they don't make good grades or, you know, and so um, I just encourage them like crazy. My son Eli is a brilliant little artist and you know, they're way behind developmentally with other kids, but we're just trying to love them and encourage them and that'll never be our, you know. Do you do anything outside of the traditional schooling? So, or, or if you've got this 
this frustration with mm -hmm. always being told that you weren't enough or getting bad grades and feeling like you didn't measure up by some yeah. standard that we still yeah. don't understand, right? Mm -hmm. how, yeah. d are you just, is that the extent of it? I'm just curious how you, as there's a lot of parents who listen to the show. Yeah, so. no, it's a, uh, our son specifically might end up at a different school that does do things differently. Um, because he does have a lot of needs that are very specific. So yeah, we might might pull him out, but our, our other kids, you know, they, they all love it. And they're, um, you know, it's, I think it's, it's in how you parent. Cause again, we won't, like they won't get grounded if they make a D or if they make a whatever, like we're just gonna keep loving them and encourage them. And I, will, I can, as a parent, speak into their true value. Whereas I think a lot of times parents do Oh, you you better get track together if you made a D on that test, you know, really lay into them. I don't think that's necessarily accurate. Just knowing because that was that was me. Like I just wasn't built for the, the whole test system, you know. So So we've traversed the ground where you figured out that you weren't employable. Yeah. <laughs> you needed to work for yourself. Yeah. Uh let's go into that the sort of the fear setting or fearscaping where presumably when you're 24 years old when you you went to the ad agency stuff then you left to start your own company you don't have any money <laughs> you don't have very many contacts you've yeah. got some skills yeah but whether the folks who are listening are were tw are 20 or 24 in that same world or they're 36 or mm. 46 and the thought of starting something new, the start of not the thought of not having money after, especially after you've had a job, you get a regular paycheck. Yeah. And how did you manage? How did you manage that fear? Um, just knowing that I had to chase the the, the curiosity. Like, I, and I'm still that way. Like, I'm just so. It's either really ADD or really curious. Um, but I just knew that I wasn't happy. Uh, knew that I wasn't fulfilled. Like I got to a place where I just literally hated work, hated the job, hated having a boss, all that stuff. And so, um, and that's been a theme throughout. Like I was just telling them, I actually launched a platform, an education platform a couple of years ago and a year in, it was really successful, but it, within a year of doing it, I was like, oh, I don't wanna do this, you know? Um, and then I did the app and it got, I was four years into the whole app thing. And it's like, yep, this is the wrong ladder too. And, um, and so I just kind of, I'm always pushing to when I know I'm fulfilled and that's why the hotel is for three years. I knew that's the thing that, um, that feels really fulfilling. Cause I'm ultimately what I've ultimately realized I have to do something creative and that helps people. Um, in fact, I'm upset for a while. I had a mission statement that said my mission is to explore the intersection of empathy and creativity. And so um, I don't think I'm answering your question at all. But, no, no, um, I get it. This is the R. Um, all these things are scary things, which is part of what I'm helping, trying yeah. to help people understand that as you're traversing this landscape, none of this stuff is for sure. None of it's guaranteed. And really nothing is guaranteed. You can get by a bus tomorrow. Nothing is guaranteed. And I think that I've been having this discussion a lot with guys kind of our age um, where they think because they've done something their whole life, they have to keep doing them. They're really scared to jump and they may not be as fulfilled. And what I've learned is that I thought I was a lifelong photographer, but 
But then I had a big idea. It's a whole different other industry. But then I thought, well, I'll never be as fulfilled doing that as I have been as in photography. And the truth is just the opposite. I've been so much more fulfilled chasing the thing that I know I was made for and cut out for. And I think people just have to, even if you've been a physical therapist or a doctor, a teacher, or a photographer, like, and you're burnt out and you're just not happy, you might actually love this next thing much, much more than what you've been doing. And, um, and screw it if it is a failure. Like, you're still going to learn. You're still going to learn so much. Like, those four years I built a social network, like, it failed, but I'm so grateful for it because I learned so much about team building and leadership and all that stuff that it is now plays into my role as uh, this hotel founder. And so, um, yeah, I just, I guess I'm just not afraid of failure. And I'm also not afraid of publicly failing. Like, I think if anything, it makes us more relatable. You know, the Kickstarter, I used every connection, influencer I remember, connection. I remember pushing, pushing that yeah, thing. Yeah, like, I mean, we, I was hitting you doing, up, yeah. I was hitting everybody up to help us, and it failed. And uh, it just didn't bother me. I was like, okay, let's do it again. You know, and so, um, and it's it's back to the haunted house thing. Like I just, I might get hurt, I might be scared, but it's going to be interesting, and I'm going to learn a lot. Is that native to you, or is it because of childhood? Like, how do you have that Teflon? Like, how does that stuff just bounce off you when it really sticks and can paralyze so many? I don't, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I guess it was native because as a kid, even even when I would, and I keep bringing up the haunted house thing because it's such a specific <laughs> memory is that no kids wanted to go in, but I did. I wanted to be, and those are the days where like, you know, before uh, lawsuits where they could actually touch you and grab <laughs> you and actually come up with the chainsaw right here. It really was terrifying. Uh, <laughs> Chainsaw. Um, wow, I think I went to the wrong haunted house. Yeah, you did. Chainsaws. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We had the chainsaws. Tennessee, bro. <laughs> Tennessee chainsaw. Yeah. Haunted houses. Yeah. All right. Um, Here we had gluten-free bread. <laughs> you had chainsaws. And we had gluten-free yeah. bread. <laughs> no, but I mean, maybe it's just a, a live and learn, like maturing and just realizing, yeah. like, man, I used to be afraid. You know, get would get publicly embarrassed if something didn't work out, but now just, I think it's just fun. It's just fun to to jump into things if they fail and um, like everybody's failing every day at something, you know, and I'm, I'm failing every day still, sometimes as a parent, sometimes as a husband, um, not sometimes all the time, <laughs> those things. But even publicly, I don't know, I just find that people, um, you know, people really wrap their arms around us when the cake started failed. Like, we're going to root even harder for y'all this next time. <laughs> and, you know, um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just okay with it, I think. Yeah. There's, you always have approached those things so grace, graciously, gracefully, both those things. Um, is it something that you, you talked about not being afraid of it? But it's sort of like you had to take a bunch of action. I think that's, as I'm trying to like look backwards and piece together your answers to the last few questions, there was always the act of doing. Like, it's sort of like you're a man who is ready, fire, aim. 
<laughs> you know, as opposed yeah. to the other way around. <laughs> totally. Is yeah. that is that a? Yeah. Do you feel like well, that's become an advantage for you? We say that we're we're building this hotel backwards because typically a hotel, you know, they do all their private investing and meetings and all that. Then they raise the money to build the building, then they build the building, and the very end they hang the sign. It's like we started with the sign, <laughs> and then like oh, we don't know what's next, but we're gonna, you know jump in and figure it out because the Kickstarter was essentially just that. It was like, here's an idea that's not going to exist for years, may not, won't be in your city unless you live in Nashville, but will you still support this? And so it was very much, um, <laughs> like you said, re ready, fire, aim. That's a good, <laughs> a good way of saying it. Um, so yeah, we just thought this, this is a, a, an idea for the people. So it has to start with the public, with the people. Um, and um, there has certainly been a lot of fear still with, the, we've even had major brands call us, letting us know they're essentially borrowing concepts. We got asked to go on Shark Tank and we did turn that down because at that level of exposure, you know, anyone yeah. could just run with it. Um, Is that, so let's, that's actually fascinating. You have advocated earlier in our conversation for one of the strengths was telling everybody about your vision. Mm -hmm. And yet there was, was there was a line in there somewhere yeah. you didn't want to go on Shark Tank and yeah. got it. So I think I was telling everybody within my culture of like community and like I would speak at a lot of conferences, but even at those conferences, it was like, I know you know this feeling when you just kind of trust the people you're amongst and yeah. like, especially in the like creative, church kind of conferences I would just kind of share if you had to go on Shark Tank and tell what are the, what are the 30 million <laughs> Americans or 20 whatever it is essentially tell the country and especially the, the people watching that are people searching for ideas yeah. so that just felt too risky for sure but I go, love that, that go at that level that 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 you I found the same thing to be true if you can't this idea that people are going to copy your idea Shark Tank excluded, okay, because most people don't have access to Shark Tank. Mm -hmm. So Shark Tank excluded. I find that there's this power that comes from speaking your ideas and getting feedback. And for those folks at home who are thinking like, oh, I don't want to tell Larry or Sally from, you know, my idea because they're going to go do it. I just find that people, they, they're largely self-interested and they have their own dream and their own dream is not to mm -hmm. create a hotel where the soap is the soap and the artwork and the rooms mm -hmm. all have some tie to a higher per that, that's just not their thing mm -hmm. and even if they're interested in hotels they're like yeah, eh, yeah i got this other thing that i'm working on i agree completely yeah i've never been really bitten by the whole even especially in photography um i used to be in my 20s i would say i was that photographer so, oh no, I can't tell you my secrets. They're really secret. They're really cool. You know? It's where I put the light and at what power it's. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's all the gimmicky stuff I would come up with. And then throughout my 30s, it's like, wait a minute, who cares? <laughs> I'll share anything and everything. Because um, what I've learned is like, kind of what you're saying is nobody is ever going to be you. No one is ever going to have your relationships, your experience, your just everything. And so. I just learned that community is far more important to me than competition or yeah, just far outweighs competition. Like I just rather share and two, what I learned about my ideas is that once I execute an idea, I'm done with it and I'll never do it again anywhere. 
So yeah, let me share it and see what everybody else does with it. And um, But on the hotel front, yeah, it has been a little trickier because we are, this is an idea that's gonna take, I mean, by the, from when I had the idea to when I opened the doors, it'll be a decade, friggin' 10 years, you know? <laughs> and so when you openly go tell everybody that, yeah, a major chain could pick up a lot of the concept and implement it, you know? Um, so that does has made us a little nervous, but still there's so many I've only released like the tip of the glacier of the idea to the public there's a lot more below the surface um, and so yeah I'm still just not that worried and and I have enjoyed just openly sharing it and letting people because that now I I am the eyes and ears of all the emails that come through and so I'm the one literally cataloging and organizing hey I'm an investor or I do soaps or I know this nonprofit that does blankets and so I'm just because I've spoken it it's like everybody everything's coming to me and so I'm just sitting here sorting so that when we are ready to fire on the soaps I've got all these emails ready to go and couches and um, so it's been pretty cool to 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 share it in that way and let it again build it backwards let the people come to us so you, you said several times talked about sharing and openness and vulnerability and uh, and so there's a topic I want to go into now where I saw in one of your social feeds you shared that you've just been diagnosed with mm -hmm. uh, a very debilitating or potentially debilitating mm -hmm. disease and I think the world doesn't know very much about it but you you know it's, it's the same you you when you released the book the same yeah. week you were also done. so it's this it's this constant like up and down yeah i think it's called life yeah um yeah. but if you would be so kind as to share a little bit yeah, what's yeah. going on with your your health yeah I think people would be interested to know that you're that you're always pushing through something right? yeah now i was uh, on a photo shoot in africa when i was 28 so what, 14 years ago, and my assistant on that trip was like, dude, you can't walk straight. I'm like, whatever, I can walk straight. And I tried walking straight, and I was like, oh crap, I can't walk straight. And so for the last 14 years, it's gotten worse and worse to where I just have thought, oh, that's just what happens when you get older. You start to get a little clumsier and you know off balanced, and uh, I just told myself that. And I would laugh at it. I just thought it was funny that I was kind of clumsy. And it was actually embarrassing at times, but it just never really bothered me um, too much until last year I got so bad that I was like, man, I am like literally a drunk all the time. And so <laughs> I was like, I should probably go get checked up. So yeah, I started seeing the doctors and uh, found out I have a disease called Friedrich's ataxia. So it's pretty serious. Um, yeah, it affects my balance, coordination, uh, speech a lot of times. Even today, I've heard some of my words kind of run together. Um, heart disease, uh, loss of muscle, um, loss of feeling in the legs and arms potentially. And so it's it's very serious. And so um, sadly, there's no cure or medication, but I, did, I have been hearing that it is one of the few diseases that they feel like they are close to curing. So, And um, neurological, um, what's the basis? Neurological, of, yeah. yeah. I am hopeful that they're close, but yeah, I just got to take really good care of myself with diet and exercise and those things, uh, I mean, help tremendously. When I'm eating really clean, my speech becomes clear. I walk straight and it's pretty crazy. 
So do you find that that uh, when you're diagnosed with that, does, how does that affect your day-to-day psychology? More, more than not being able to walk straight, I think that's even, that's downstream effect of having the disease to me, the primary mm-hmm. sort of what's affected in most people is the identity of like, yeah. I have this disease. Man, I I don't want to give it that much credit, but I I have to because it has taken up a lot of mental space. I mean, you're exactly right. Like I'm, I'm I'm both thankful for an answer to, because now so many things in hindsight make sense. Like little moments where I'm like, in the moment I was like, why can't I run downstairs quickly like the other guys at the gym or just weird things. Um, So it's good to have an answer. But yeah, it's certainly like, man, this is. Yeah, part of my story is I share how my brother died of a heart attack when he was 43. It was about five years ago, and I'm 42 right now. So certainly that even plays a bigger role. I was like, man, what if I died next year at 43? Um, But I'm going to see doctors all the time. I'm not sure he was at all. I don't even think he knew anything was wrong. So, um, yeah, I mean, it plays a big role uh, for sure in my day-to-day mental state. And... um, there is beauty in speaking out about these things because now I've met all these other people around the world that have it. And so we're all exchanging notes on how to, how to treat the symptoms and um, yeah. Just this is, there's a real clear theme of, for you running at the thing mm-hmm. that I think most people would try and hide. They wouldn't want to announce that they have this. They wouldn't want to say, hey, when you see me walking down the street, if I don't walk straight, it's because I have this. Yeah. Hey, I words look different to me. Mm-hmm. When I was in school 25 mm-hmm. years ago, 35 yeah. years ago, I didn't think I was smart. Mm-hmm. Like the people that are around you now, probably are, they're, who you were running around with 35 years years ago who could have identified you as the guy who was in school and wasn't smart, and yet you're still, you're very open and transparent about these, whether it's a malady or a challenge or a huge opportunity like the Purpose Hotel. Yeah. Like yeah. in in a way it's like whether it's the fear of failing or succeeding with the Purpose Hotel or the fear of you, you have this disease. Mm-hmm. This is the haunted house. Like mm. why are you consistently going? It's clearly been a differentiator for you. Is it yeah. because you've ultimately found reward in sharing the most painful things? <laughs> Or what, what it's yeah. fascinating to me. It's it's really it's cool and, and I, I like I, I seek things that are different than other stories that I've heard and that's like you run right at your 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 biggest struggles. Yeah, I think it just connects us all. Um I've never liked acting like I have it all together, I have all the answers or I'm like a master of something because I'm just super curious and um I identify life as being just so, so short. Like, especially with my brother dying, like it just feels like we're all here for such a short amount of time. So I'm like, I'd just rather be an open book and, you know, but because life is so short, like, yeah, I should go try everything, try all these ideas and just jump into stuff. And, you know, it's fun for me. Um, And life gets really boring if I keep doing the same thing for a long time. Like even I'm, I'm sure even after five or 10 years of the hotel, I'll have a bunch of other things. Even the hotel itself is a hundred ideas that that are gonna spring into other things. And so, 
yeah that that fear for me it's just it's just fun um and uh, i'm i'm drawn to it uh that's why i specifically wanted to use the word jumping into fear you know yeah. um instead of you know yeah, for for those folks at like, home, I should even even said joyfully jumping into fear. You know, so the subtitle to the, the title is "I'm Possible," playoff impossible, uh, jumping into fear and discovering a life of purpose. So, let's talk about the book a little sure. sp- more specifically. Um, how did how did the book come into being? Yeah. Because uh, some people wake up and say, you know, I can't wait to write, write my memoir. Yeah. You don't strike me as that person. No. So how did it come into being? Once again, yeah, I'm not a writer. Never wanted to do a book. Um, never yeah. wanted to be a speaker. Like, all that was excellent. So a mutual friend of ours, John Acuff, um, about seven or eight years ago, he said, dude, I want you to speak at my new conference. And I was like, I would love to, but I'm so not a speaker. Like I can't remember a talk. Like I would suck. But then I had been, I had just done this time lapse drawing of Tom York, where I uh, it was part analog, part digital, and I filmed the time lapse, and it was really fun. But I thought it would be. Um, so when I had the idea, where John was like, I think I could draw a talk, and the conference. Once I had the idea, by that point, the conference was like four days away. So I spent literally every hour until that. Even moments before going on stage, I just exported the vinyl, you know, um, <laughs> and gave it to him. Uh, and so again, walking and jumping into fear because I was like, I've never done this before, <laughs> and I doubt anybody has done a talk like this before because uh, it has music, visuals the entire time. Um, and so I did it, and standing ovation. Everybody was crying. I was crying. It was like this just emotional explosion. <laughs> and I was like, well, something just happened. And, um, and that launched a speaking career. So I've been doing this talk now all over the country to real estate conferences, uh, photo, creative, churches, uh, elementary schools, colleges. I've done it in arenas and 16,000 people. Um, I mean, it literally just blew up my speaking career because I think it's just a visual talk and most speakers, you know, don't don't do it that way. Um, anyway, so at one point, you know, somebody said, this needs to be a book and there's an agent and she said, I'll pitch it to publishers and she started pitching it and here we are. Yeah, so the, <laughs> literally the whole thing was accidental. Was, but this is the theme though. This is what I want to, I'm, I'm harping on. If you're not picking up on the theme let me spell it out for you folks at home, that everything that you've ever sort of got out of life came from doing something. Mm. You know, there's the idea of sitting at home in your parents' basement thinking about something. Mm. And then there's you, Jeremy, mm. who's out there doing it. And you do this big scary talk. Mm-hmm. And clearly there was value in and of itself for the talk, right? Mm. You had cathartic moments, the crowd, there was a great mm. connection. And that kicked off a speaking tour. Great. That's very literal, right? You're mm-hmm. speaking, you gave a speech, and now someone's asking you to give more speeches and they'll pay you for it. Mm-hmm. But it, clearly, it also launched a book. Mm-hmm. And now here you are, have, you're a speaker, or a non speaker who became a speaker, mm-hmm. who wasn't an author, became an author. Mm-hmm. 
weren't a hotelier, became a hotelier. Mm. Like there's this, there's a really- Nearly felt photography, became a photographer. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess I didn't mention photography because oh, yeah. your, your success there is so obvious and very public. Um, is, is, do you credit action? Do you credit the doing to your success? Or is it your, the quality of your ideas? What is it? You know, have you, uh, have you read the book? Um, I'm sure you have, um, but The War of Art, Stephen Brosfield. One of the most impactful books on my life. Dude, people told me to read that book for 10 years, <laughs> and I never did until just recently. I got the audio book. I was like, screw it, I'll, I'll finally read this dang book. I nearly wept at first chapter. I was like, oh my gosh. Speaking to me, Steven. The resistance. <laughs> oh, the resistance, yeah. Um, the resistance uh, for me has been so many things, but I think most people, the resistance just kills them. You know, whether it's, I'm too old, I'm too broke, I don't have a social media platform, I don't have any money, I don't. Um, and there could be a million different things. I think these days, a big reason that I, a big thing I'm hearing a lot is, oh, I don't have enough followers. You know, I don't have a platform or whatever. Um, and I have those thoughts too every day. I mean, even still in the hotel front. I mean, every morning I wake up with my own set of resistance. Um, but I, but I just always also think like, what if? Like, what if? What if this could, could work? You know, um, it's going to be fun and. Just yeah, the hundred hours. Just I'm just gonna walk into it, and and yeah, the talk was really was really fun because I was like, I don't even know the timing. I hadn't even practiced the timing because I photoshopped it all time lapse, and I wasn't sure if it was gonna time out. Like it was a train wreck the first time, but it still worked, you know. And it took me over and over of doing it to time it out right. Um, so yeah, I just like doing things. Even the freaking cover, I gotta tell you the story about this cover. So the publisher says, all right, you have a $4,000 budget to do your cover. I was like, awesome. I haven't been a graphic designer in a long time, so I'm not doing my cover. So I called this guy up in New York, brilliant designer, uh, and I paid him the full budget to do all these rounds of covers. They were amazing, but it's like I like them 90%. And uh, I never liked him 100%. So then I went over budget, hired another designer in Nashville. He did a whole round of comps. Loved him, but didn't love them, love them. I was like, dang it, I gotta do this myself, you know? So I ended up getting out my iPad and I literally drew, you know, this whole cover, everything on my iPad. Just did it myself, all these interior color illustrations, you know? Um, just like, I'm just gonna jump to it, literally scribbling everything, just going to town on my iPad and I'm just going to make it happen. And now I forget why I'm telling you that story, but, um, it's, no, it's fascinating. That's um, exactly but yeah, the, I mean, the words scribbled on the front here, I can't, I told my publisher, <laughs> I can't do my own cover. I just, I can't do it. And I was like, crap, I have to do it, you know? And here you are. So do you feel like, what is it about your process? Because mm. clearly, what you just described is seeking, you're starting to do something, saying yes to the book, hiring some people, learning a little bit, no, that's not quite it, picking up the iPad and the pencil yourself, and like, is, and this is a little bit into the Stephen Pressfield world, mm -hmm. like, what is it, what have you learned about 
your creative process? Um, gosh, that's a good question. Um, just the, the curiosity is huge for me. The curiosity through everything. It's like if I don't, if I get bored or stale, um, I don't know, I just kind of die inside. In fact, I would say everything we're talking about makes me sound and uh, so so productive and creative all the time. But I mean, honestly, the last two years of my life were just a funk where I was just doing nothing because the hotel idea, and this is a whole different thing we talk about, but the hotel has been um, seven years of waiting where everybody else's careers, you know, are doing this and get on Twitter and you're killing it with Creative Live and everybody else is doing their thing. And I'm just sitting there going, you know, one day I'll have this idea that comes to life. And so it's been a really long, um, I mean, there've been, dude, there've been months where I'm like, the hotel's not happening. I've let my photo career die. I've let my, all my clients go away. And I'm just sitting here doing nothing. Um, and then everything with the political world the last two years, I feel like my, um, I've just been doing nothing. Like I've been really in a, in a dark funk and Stephen Pressel's book is really what brought me out of it is um, reading about the resistance. And at some point he said, the work you're most meant to do um, is what you're most afraid to do or you know, um, something along those lines. And it was both the art and the hotel for me. That's why I started jumping back in, into fine art and to what led to this cover, literally the war of art, um, but just being so afraid to, um, to, ju to jump in. I mean, I've been afraid of my fine art for 20 years. I've literally chased everything else. Yeah. You know, at one point in, the, in Stephen Pressfield's book, he said, Hitler was a, a brilliant painter, but he was so afraid of a blank canvas, it was easier for him to start World War II you know, and, and do all these other things. Um, and obviously I'm, I'm not comparing myself to Hitler, but the idea that it's easier for me to go try to figure out a hotel and um, nonprofits and apps than it is for me to face a blank canvas. Um, but all that to say, I, I've certainly had my, my struggles along the, the last two years especially have been almost, I would say almost dark, just depression, yeah, not productive. But do you, the part that I think is fascinating is that it's sort of like daytime requires nighttime because it was daytime all the time, we wouldn't survive. Yeah, yeah. So that there's this it's sort true. of a yin and a yang that's required and it's almost like if you look at the seasons, right? It's not mm. summer all the time. Yeah. You know, you have to have a winter. You have to be able to slow down. You have to be able to rest and get sleep yeah. and energize and build up these ideas. It's, it's funny you say that because yesterday I tweeted, I said, uh, for the last two years, everyone has been talking about hustling, it seems like. And right now it seems like everybody's talking about self-care. You know, it just, pro backlash for it sure. just proves that we can only hustle for so long yeah. before we need to really take care of ourselves. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm in that, I've been in that season of, it was hustle, hustle for a long time. Then I think it was burnout and what am I doing and just the hotel taking so long. And now I'm at a, I'm, at, I'm in the self-care phase right now for sure, trying to figure out my health and taking care of myself for sure. You mentioned something in the last little, last little uh, moment there about transitioning from 
being a photographer to being, whether you identify as a hotelier yeah. or a multi-dimensional artist, I don't, I'm not going to put a label to it, but clearly you're, you've just sort of crossed a chasm and you've transitioned. Uh, I found that to be one of the hardest, most confusing things for me personally was, wait a minute, you're on top of the world doing the thing you love more than anything mm -hmm. in the world and never dreamed in a million years I could have the photography career that I had. Mm -hmm. And at some point, for me, my calling, I, hear, I heard a calling that wasn't not photography, but was sort of beyond it. It incorporated yeah. that in the same way that yeah. a lot of what you've talked about, like photography is a piece of the hotel. Mm -hmm. Images, design, marketing, branding, that's all yeah. part of the package. Yeah. And how have, I, I look back and I think that's a transition that I, I personally botched. And it seems like you've, you're, you're, you're finding a way to make it really elegant. And maybe that's just how it looks on the outside. But mm. give the folks at home, because I think there are so many people who are stuck. They're in a gig and they don't know how to transition. Mm -hmm. And so what's, do you have some advice on that? And I'm, I'm taking notes here, by the way, because I, I feel like I did a bad job over the last you know 10 years transitioning from one thing to another. Man, right? I mean, it's, you're definitely right that it always looks more polished than it is. Yeah. I'm sure people are watching me going, oh, he's so, so great building a hotel now, switching from photography. They don't see the seven year journey, the three years of just numbness of literally doing nothing other than talking about it. Um, you know, they don't see the sleepless nights of me going, what have I done? This isn't gonna work you know, where the deal fell through in Nashville. Like there's so many moments where it just isn't gonna happen. Um, but for the people stuck, especially in a job they don't love, wanting to jump out and do the thing, I think, you know, naming it um, is so huge and letting your community know. It's like, again, I'm bringing up my friend John Acuff, like, the other day, John, you got, we got to have you on the show. We've, we've, we've been friends for a long time. We got to yeah. we got to get John. Here's great. The other day, he said, uh, "I've been telling people I'm not a runner because I'm afraid to claim that, but I run every day." It's like, okay, I'm a runner. Like, I think once we start speaking that into our communities, for I think of photographers, like, if you just start taking a camera with you everywhere and you start letting people know, yeah, that's what I do now, and claim it, not even telling them actually work at Home Depot or wherever like just owning it and naming it and claiming it and going out and doing that, even if it's for free at first, which I know that's a controversial topic, but yeah, just, um, you're gonna figure it out. You know, you're gonna, things are gonna start falling. You're gonna meet one person and there's one person. I mean, that's been seven years with the hotel is like, I always met her and she knows him. And it's the game of, you know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy. Guys can be girls, obviously. Um, but I just think you have to step out and, and start owning it mentally and, and talking about it and people start to identify you and hopefully your thing will start to become, then they'll start asking you about it. Then it starts to become accountability, like, oh crap, I gotta now do that thing that I told them I was gonna do. Like at the beginning of this year, I actually just announced in a, in a just spur of the moment, told my, all my followers, whatever, I'm gonna do an art show. And I announced the dates in my studio. I didn't have any art ready. I hadn't made any art at that point. 
It's like, I'm gonna friggin' do an art show, which has been like my lifelong dream. And I have this gorgeous, large studio in Franklin, Tennessee, and I've never done a public event. It was always my private studio. I'm saying, I mean, it's really the same thing because people know me as a commercial photographer, not a fine artist that does paintings. Yeah. So I'm like, no, I'm, I'm gonna just say it, jumping into fear. I'm doing an art show. And so weeks later, I just busted my tail, not only creating the art, but completely reinventing my studio into an art gallery, <laughs> you know, hanging the work, making the work, uh, learning how to make the work. I mean, you talk about a mess, and it was a mess, but hundreds of people showed up to my studio. I did it over three nights, and each night a couple hundred people came. It was the most beautiful thing I've ever done. And the whole night, I was like so insecure about the art because I'm seeing all the mistakes and all the things I didn't mount right and all the little, and my work is very abstract. I just see nothing but mistakes. But I was so proud of myself just for freaking doing it, you know. And now all those people, they're starting to think of, oh, Jeremy is an artist, you know. And then just like, yeah, I'm just going to own this. Even if it sucks, I'm just going to invite y'all in and I'm going to tell you I'm an artist. And maybe I'll start believing that too, you know. And so uh, it was really powerful for me. And I'll do it again soon. And the art will probably still suck, but, um, but I enjoyed the heck out of it, you know. What are you most excited for in the next chapter? Man, when we, uh, when we break ground in the hotel, I think I'll be the happiest man alive. Because it's just, it's such a profoundly beautiful um, goal. Profoundly beautiful people involved, just talented. I mean, the, the story, I know I already told you the Santa Claus story. The things we plan on doing with this, with this concept. Um, you can't you can't say the Santa Claus story without going to the Santa Claus story. He shared with this with me before the cameras were rolling when we were hanging out. If you watched my Instagram live, you would have seen it. But uh, quick, super quick <laughs> recap. Like this is a this pivot moment from failure to success in literally in, overnight. <laughs> literally overnight. Give yeah. us give us a short version of that. Um. So from 2015. To 2017, we're trying to get this off the ground. Somewhere in 2016, a guy said, hey, I have a, uh, a plot of land in uh, an area called 12 South in Nashville, which is like, I mean, Reese Witherspoon has a little store there. It is like trendy, trendy, super cool. Everybody goes there when they go to Nashville. Um, so it was really exciting. So we were working all towards that. Um, and there was a Friday night in December 2017 where I met with a neighborhood board and they essentially said, we love your concept. It's incredible, but we have development fatigue. There's no way a hotel is going in this area. And so I was super down and out about it. Uh, back, literally, back, I mean, back to the drawing board, starting over. So the very next morning, I showed up to our annual event, Help Portrait, which you and I go, Chase yeah. is actually one of the reasons, the part of the puzzle that started Help Portrait from the get-go. Um, but this is our, our eighth annual Help Portrait event. For most of those years, this guy had been showing up at Santa Claus. And uh, so I get there that morning because the night before, everybody set up the gear, but I had my hotel meeting, so I couldn't be there. So I get there the next morning by myself to set up my gear. Santa Claus walks in, it's just me and Santa. <laughs> and uh, I had never talked to him other than, thanks Santa, you were awesome, you know? So I didn't know anything about this guy. 
But he walks in, he goes, hey, I heard you're building something special. And I said, um, I said man, I'm trying, I've got this crazy idea for a hotel chain. And uh, he said, but our land fell through last night. And so I've got nothing right now. But I told him the full concept, um, which I guess I haven't even told your viewers here. Um, but essentially it's a, it's a social good hotel where everything in the building is connected to causes and nonprofits. So by choosing our hotel, you're essentially changing the world around you. Yeah, so gave, stemmed by that walk down the hallway in the standard hotel. Yeah. Now it's a full-blown yeah. thing, purpose hotel. You can check it out online, yeah. Yeah, so I told Santa the concept. He's like, man, I love it. He said, since 1974, I've owned four acres downtown Nashville, um, and we've already got a zone for a 20-story hotel. We're looking for something creative that gives back and... I was like, dude, you are lying to me right now. Because, I mean, if you could Santa, see. that's painful. Currently in the United States, Nashville has the most uh, cranes of any major city. I mean, it, it looks like Dubai right now. Like, it is just. But the only plot that is, like, not being developed is this four acres of Santa Owens. And so he's like, yeah, we'd love to chat. And so fast forward, what, now, a year and a half, two years? And uh, that's where we're putting our hotels on Santa Claus's property. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. It was it. so surreal that I, uh, that I was like, we have to take a picture together right now in case this happens. And so I've got this amazing photo of me and Santa in the moment that he told me. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. And that it was Santa Claus is pretty amazing. I know. <laughs> yeah, wait till you see the photo. Uh, but the fact that he and I had been quietly serving the homeless, you know, for seven, eight years together, and yeah. that story was, was building the entire time is incredible. Awesome. Yeah. So. The hotel is scheduled to break ground basically in a year, next mm -hmm. spring, right? We're mm -hmm. in spring 2019. Yeah. Um, you've done some book tour dates. Thank mm. you very much for making this one yeah. of them. Yeah. Super, super excited about this. For those folks, again, it's I'm Possible. Um, jumping into fear and discovering a life of purpose. Um, family. Everything going okay with the family? Yeah. Just want to check in here. Like, yeah. what's the next big thing on the family horizon? You got uh, uh, four kids, all in was seven to thirteen. Seven right? to thirteen. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Daughter just broke her arm this past weekend. Oh. Uh, son, my son. We got challenges with him, but overall, it's our new normal. Everybody's healthy, and I'm grateful to have four healthy kids. Yeah. So. What should, what, where's the best place for people to go to learn about the hotel? Yeah, um, thepurposehotel.com, the Purpose Hotel on socials, Jeremy Coward on socials. Um, yeah, they can buy the book on my, there's a link from my website. So, pretty simple. I, I, want, I want to do this with you. I, want, <laughs> I wish we could turn the tables. I want to be the interviewer now. Anytime, anytime. Yeah. Um, and I'll be in Nashville. I went to Jeff's conference, Jeff Goins, and yeah, he yeah. actually introduced us. Yeah, it was fun to see him on this podcast. I went to uh, when he had a book out, which was called Real Artists Don't Starve. Yeah. Um, he has a, a gathering, and I didn't really do much speaking last year. I had head really down in yeah. some of the, the creative live stuff. Um, but it was my first time to uh, Franklin, mm -hmm. which is just outside of Nashville. You were literally in my building and you didn't come say hi. I heard, I yeah. heard. And it was the day that I had to go to the airport. I mean, my, my luggage yeah. is backstage, all that stuff. He said, yeah. yeah, did I tell you? We were, Jeff and I were backstage. And I said, this building is so cool. He's like, did yeah. you know Jeremy Studios in this building? Yeah, yeah. I was like, what? Yeah. Um, 
So, so funny. We'll, we'll make that. We'll make that. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll swap roles here sometime in the next, next short while. Uh, thanks so much for being on the show. Of it's course. almost ten year circle. Yeah. From doing this show in my photo studio, which is mm-hmm. about a, a mile from here. Yeah. Um, what a ride! Help help portrait and your commercial success in photography. It's just been fun to to be on the ride alongside you, Man, watch you from afar, ditto. just Same crushing thing. it. Congrats on the book, the hotel. Thank you. And gentlemen, you know how to find him now. Um, keep doing what you're doing, man. Thank you. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. <laughs> Bye, everybody. All right, that about wraps it up. But uh, hey, before you bounce, two quick things. Um, actually, I'm going to go three quick things. Thing one, A, thank you so much for being a part of this community. And I'm not quite sure how you, you landed on this podcast. It doesn't matter to me. The fact that we're all in this together and that we're able to have a conversation is awesome. I feel uh, honored to be in your ears right now and that uh, you've paid attention to what I've been doing, what Creative Live has been doing for some time. And whether it's been a day or 10 years, I just want to say thank you. It's also really important to know on the backside of that, that I, I do a lot of responding to comments. So hit me up, on, you know, direct message me on, on Instagram or Twitter or at me. I try and respond as much as possible. So let's have a conversation that transcends me just being in your ears here. Let's try and do it some, somewhere out there in, on the internet land. That's thing one. Thing two, again, I'm not quite sure what channels you pay attention to me and my work, but please go check out. I'm at Chase Jarvis or slash Chase Jarvis or whatever on all the platforms. And it's really important to me. Also, if you wouldn't mind checking out Creative Live, it's something that not only myself, but 120 other committed hardcore badass people come to work every day uh, to build the place where creators and entrepreneurs learn so check that out they're just slash creative live or at creative live all over out there on the internet all right until again uh, probably tomorrow i hope i'll hear you i'll be in your ears maybe tomorrow and i'll look for your comments on the internets bye